For a number of years now, I've been contacted by a lot of young conservatives on Canadian campuses. They all say the same thing. They talk about how difficult it is to be vocal about conservative ideas, which have now basically become completely forbidden due to the culture shifting to the left. I'm curious if this is the same in the United States. So we're going to be speaking to Mia Cathell, who's a reporter with The Post Millennial and a host of an upcoming podcast called Raised Right. She goes to Boston University and studies journalism, and she's written a lot on this topic, the topic of being a young conservative, part of the new generation. What is that like? What are the exclusions you feel in your school and social circles? I think it's very insightful for a lot of young conservatives, and I, I also think it's quite insightful even for older conservatives who are curious to see what is happening with their own kids or grandkids. So with that said, please listen and let me know your thoughts. My name is Angelo Sodoro, and this is Cancel This. All right, Mia, thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for having me. So you are one of the few people who are starting new shows with the post-millennial. Uh, and your show sort of intrigued me, especially as someone who's you know, younger. Uh, I was wondering if we could start off there and just give me an idea of what your show is going to be about and what people can listen to uh, in terms of the theme. Yeah, it's positioned as a survival guide for high school-aged, college-aged conservatives who may feel alone on campus and in the classroom, but it's also for concerned parents uh, raising the next generation of free thinkers who want an inside look at what the kids are up to today. Yeah, well, I mean, it strikes a chord with me uh, because going through the university system, as you all know, uh, being someone who leans to the right is pretty much verboten. And uh, throughout my own activism, and I think you've probably experienced the same, it's always been really tragic to see people our age who are interested in being either politically active or being journalists or just being more vocal about their beliefs but being really afraid to do so because they lean conservative. Um, have you experienced anything like that in your life? Um, definitely in the liberal college town. Um, I'm in Boston. I go to Boston University. So uh, Boston is very blue. Um, Mayor Boston, uh, Marty Walsh, you know, he was just picked by Biden. So um, I'm definitely used to that uh, culture on campus. And I'm a journalism major, so attending the College of Communication um, it's certainly uh, difficult taking a lot of political science-driven classes. Mm -hmm. Well, so what's that like? Tell me about your, your journalism major. Obviously, you're a reporter with us at the Post Millennial. Uh, as if the university system in cities isn't an echo chamber enough, I imagine the journalism uh, faculty is pretty heavy on that. I mean, I was a psych major, so... Psychology was like 99%, you know, hard left. So what was it like, or what is it like being a journalism major? Well, yeah, I witnessed uh, the Kavanaugh trials and then I witnessed uh, impeachment happen. And discussing these current events in class, certainly with a left-leaning bias was difficult. Um, I certainly still spoke up um, and I helped co-found this uh, student conservative chapter Young Americans for Freedom, which is a project underneath Young America's Foundation. And uh, they're famous for bringing pundits like Ben Shapiro to campus 
um, other big uh, hosts from the Daily Wire. Um, and so that was something that certainly helped a lot of our fellow conservatives on campus not feel so alone, realize that there's support, there's resources, and for it to not be such a liberal echo chamber. So what, what was that like? I mean, it sounds like you've brought speakers to campus before. Mm -hmm. um, our first year, we brought Matt Walsh, who is, um, you know, hosts the Matt Walsh show on the Daily Wire. And then we brought Ben Shapiro the following year. And this is within the same year that we started this up. And there was certainly a lot of backlash faced when Ben Shapiro came. Um, Matt Walsh, who uh, joked about being a theocratic fascist, it was a lot of fun bringing him on. Um, and uh, the Daily Wire pundits always uh, treat their students well. And we built a lot of connections with him. And then when Ben came, there was a lot of backlash. And we even had student groups that um, created that was created as resistance to Ben Shapiro coming. We had students against hate speech and we had um, young Americans against fascism. So that was, you know, a take on YAF as well. And um, there were a lot of protests every stage each weekend before he arrived. And there was this one particular group called Black BU, which as you can imagine, comprised uh, the black students on campus. And that actually existed out of an actual uh, black student organization, but this was specifically targeted at changing the title of the speech. Um, so Ben's speech was titled, uh, America was not built on slavery, it was built on freedom. And that, you know, uh, is the antithesis to everything that the 1619 Project preaches and what they're trying to teach in schools with critical race theory. And to explain that uh, we are not based on um, oppression on white supremacy, that America is the founding of freedom, the founding of, uh, uh, you know, it, that there's more to our constitution than just some kind of uh, structure that oppresses the minority class. Well, it's interesting to hear that you had these groups be born out of the fact that your group existed. I, I sort of feel a sense of camaraderie with you. Um, you. You mentioned one called Students Against Hate Speech, I think you said. Um, so, so at UBC, when we brought Ben Shapiro and brought our speakers to the UBC Free Speech Club, uh, a group was born called uh, Students Against Bigotry. So there's a, a close connection there. Um, so yeah, I feel a sense of camaraderie with you, not only in, in, the, in the speakers that we've brought, but in the hate that we've received. Uh, it's it's a very strange thing, but it, it's interesting to hear, you know, the commonalities. I mean, when we brought Ben, it was a pretty big uproar uh, at UBC, and they wanted to cancel it, and it was a whole, a whole thing. Certainly, got accused of fascism and white supremacy, being a Nazi. Of course, he's Jewish, which is ridiculous. Um, but at the end of the day, I mean, thousands of students got to experience um, a, a conservative speaker on campus. And I think many people wonder, well, what is the value in that? Well, you know, and I'm curious to hear your thoughts on it, but I think the value on that is that those students who were afraid to express their opinions may not be so afraid after they have someone on stage willing to do so in front of thousands. So do you feel that that is a commonality at Boston University where 
after you would bring these speakers, you would feel a sense of, you know, motivation to be a little more vocal? When you brought up that uh, these anti-fascist students accused Ben Shapiro, you know, a Jew of being a Nazi, uh, that's hilarious. That's really just points out the hypocrisy of the left. Um, we face similar attacks. We had this giant uh, billboard that I created as the social media chair. Uh, it was just a marketing piece and it hung besides the, uh, beside the freshman dormitory. It was protected by uh, a glass, but uh, repeated attempts. Um, there were uh, students who wrote um, fascist, Nazi, Hitler on his poster on the glass of it that we could wipe off, of course, but you know, still the action of it. And I think at several points they drew the Hitler mustache on Ben. And that's just showcases the hypocrisy. And um, just thinking of the efforts uh, that they committed before he could even come to campus, before they even heard his speech, just based on the simple title alone and his fame alone. Um, that was all just for political theater. Uh, Black BU, uh, I would have to commend that they at least did not want to censor his speech. They wanted to change the title. They still allowed him to speak. They wanted to hear what he had to say. Um, and then afterwards, uh, YAF and Black BU uh, organized this kind of joint discussion. We talked about how the title and the speech may have offended them. Not really sure how much change we really enacted, but this is what this is all about, um, creating dialogue, uh, going against the echo chamber, saying that just because there's um, opposition doesn't mean you know, that they have to be attacked as white supremacists, as fascists, that it could just be differing opinion. And so I think that was the most effective change that happened afterwards. We garnered a lot of new members. Uh, most of them just wanted to see Ben Shapiro up close. But besides that, to say that here we are, we're on campus. There's other groups like uh, college Republicans that have been on campus for a long time. But how YAF is differentiated is that we don't technically endorse any political party or political cause. It's uh, truly based on conservative values. And I think that's what a lot of pundits and a lot of uh, activists should try to base their values on is um, not exactly partisanship, but what do you believe in? What are your traditions, et cetera? Yeah, well, I mean, it's certainly commendable that 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 group was willing to engage, you know, when we hosted these events, something that I really encouraged, uh, not only for the morality of it in terms of the education, but also just the sheer interest was inviting people who disagreed with the speaker like Ben, people who hated Ben, invite them to ask him a question during the Q&A, most of whom wouldn't do so. But I think you know, the misconception that exists of conservatives in university is that we're just rabble rousers. We just want to create chaos. We just want to, you know, we're just shit disturbers. When in reality, I mean, at least for me, and I'm curious to hear your thoughts, you know, graduating high school, you go to university or college and you kind of have this vision in your head of somewhere where you can go and debate ideas and grow and challenge yourself and and learn, and none of that was happening. So you kind of had to make it happen. Uh, do you feel like you experienced something similar in that? Um, I actually came my sophomore year to BU. So 
there were a lot of transfer students who also co-founded uh, the YAF chapter. And we decided we did want to enact this change. We know that BU um, is a liberal university in such a blue town as Boston. And you know we wanted to be like the movers and shakers, but it's not just to be provocateur, it is um, to create actual change. And as an activism chapter, we've done a lot more than just bring Ben to um, you know, stir up trouble. Uh, there's way more to it. Uh, YAF has a lot of different initiatives. Um, for instance, we talked about Che Guevara and how he has been kind of idolized and lionized by the left as some kind of pop culture, pop culture figure like Mao Zedong that you'd wear him on your t-shirt without even knowing the bloodshed that he caused. And that's something that we did in uh, teaching about the right side of history. Um, we also did the 9-11 Never Forget Project where we placed thousands of flags uh, representing the lives lost in the 9-11 terrorist attacks. So there's a lot of things that pop, on pop up on campus that's more than just uh, those kind of viral Ben Shapiro destroys liberal students. And uh, Ben Shapiro represents more than just a viral click. He, um, it, it was just a really great conversation. He had the Q&A afterwards and I helped to facilitate it. And there were a lot of people who've asked uh, silly questions from like, what's your stance on rap to um, contesting his uh, opinions. And he always says at the beginning of each q and I want those who dissent to come to the front of the line. If you agree with me and just wanna praise me, then let's leave this space for discussion. And I think um, that that always just struck, strikes me as something that's showing it's not an echo chamber. Um, and uh, I think it was just a really great experience overall. I was very starstruck to meet Ben and he's a very personal, person as you met him. Um, but, you know, YAF is just a really great resource. There's also Turning Point USA um, with Charlie Kirk and Candace Owens. Uh, there's just a lot of resources that I think a lot of liberal college campuses uh, don't really provide. And that's the struggle is that a lot of conservative students have to be self-starters to know this themselves. And Ben Shapiro certainly introduced me to the conservative movement, realized that YAF is this middleman to provide these speakers. But this is something that uh, it's not exactly suppressed, but it's just not something that a lot of students are aware of or politically awakened. Right, right. And I feel a sense of envy hearing that because, you know, you do have YAF, you have Turning Point, you have different organizations. In Canada, we don't have anything. So we were sort of forced to create our own. But there is that demand, right? I, I mean, I'm sure you've, you've been contacted by students and, and many people have had questions about, you know, how, how do I be active in university? How do I be an active member of society? I, I think, you know, a trap that a lot of conservatives have fallen into, uh, especially in the previous generation, is this thing of just divorcing yourself from culture and just saying, you know what, um, I'm just going to focus on my business degree or my STEM degree, make a ton of money, uh, become super rich, become super fiscally responsible and live my life. And I think there is a time where that worked, but now we're in a period where we're in a culture war and conservatives have to be engaged in it. So I think our generation has a certain burden to wrestle with. Um, what would you say to someone who's younger than you who 
is, let's say, a freshman uh, or, you know, even in high school maybe and is interested in becoming more politically active but has conservative ideas, I mean, what, what, what words of, of inspiration or even just strategy uh, would you recommend to someone who's on the younger side but wants to be vocal? As you mentioned, it's very difficult to just remain in the center. Um, the left is forcing you to have an opinion. If you're not anti-fascist, if you're not anti-racist, then you are racist, you are fascist. And that's what I've witnessed. A lot of people are kind of forced into different camps and to have certain uh, stances on things when they're just an econ major, a psychology major. Uh, they just want to do graphic design. And they ask, you know, what is your stance on illegal immigration? Um, and what I would say to freshmen is that you should not be afraid to speak up. Always speak your truth, speak what's on your mind, um, and don't be afraid in the classroom. Um, a lot of people are afraid that professors are going to, you know, uh, your, your grades are dependent on what you say, especially in something that's a politically charged classroom. Um, I know certainly when I went to the New Hampshire rally, uh, Trump ahead of the primary, um, I went with a couple friends and we were kind of like this specimen that the news just flocked to because it was on a Monday, there were classes as normal, but we were surrounded by the stereotypical middle-aged white guys who were going to the Trump rallies and you think they drive the trucks and they have the caravans and flags, but there we were and we were going against the narrative. You know, uh, Asian, female, young, my friend who's Afro-Latino and we were just, going against this mold of what Trump supporters should look like. And that's something that um, the mainstream media keeps trying to tell people is Trump's supporters are these racists, they're these privileged upper-class white men or these unintelligent hillbillies. But uh, what Trumpism has taught us is that uh, we don't need to appeal to identity politics and freshmen should learn this, that um, you need to be researching beyond what you see on prime time, that there's more to the story and your values don't necessarily have to appeal to one ideology that um, you yourself are yourself, et cetera. And so, you know, I thought that was just a great experience going to this rally and realizing that we, this young generation uh, can certainly go against what we've been told. Um, you saw that in Florida with all the Cuban Americans and their, their forefathers, their ancestors who traveled and escaped from what was happening in Cuba. That happened to my friend who came uh, to the New Hampshire rally and that there's uh, more beneath the story. Right, right. Well, what do you think about, you know, you described that story um, and that was during the primaries you mentioned. So that was, you know, four or five years ago. Um, now that we're coming to the end of the Trump era, uh, and we're entering this era of big tech and censorship. I mean, what do you do then? What do you do in that situation where, you know, the, the era of, of being politically incorrect is gone and now we're ramping up political correctness? Um, what do you think the next four years looks like? We just can have to continue pushing back in this culture war. Uh, big tech censorship crackdown against the president is just the very beginning because he stands between us and them. Um, we should not be afraid of saying what we want to say on these platforms just because we're afraid of being banned. And 
it's terrifying to think that when we had our own platform, when we had Parler to say things uh, unpoliced, they policed that and they knocked it and wiped it out of existence. And this should certainly be a wake up call. Uh, we had the chance to fight against big tech with section 230, but we didn't. And we need to urge our congressmen, um, especially the rhinos in Congress to not be afraid because if you don't, if you didn't back Trump then, and then now that he's out of office, it's just very scary to think what these next four years could be and that we are the generation that is now politically awakened. Um, I'm kind of thankful that I wasn't very uh, sentient during the Obama years, but now I get to experience the Biden years. And so um, we need to wake up our fellow students, our fellow freshmen of what's going on. Um, and yeah. So you're, you're in journalism. What's it like being in journalism, but also reporting for the post-millennial? I mean, have you, have you gotten flack for that? Um, a lot of my peers uh, are little self-promoters, self-careerists. So a lot of them haven't even noticed that I've been writing for the post-millennial or that I've been on Tucker. Um, I was oh, on Tucker wow. for my uh, original reporting, breaking this uh, Black Lives Matter related story uh, nationally. And so I'm not sure my sweet mates even realized it. But, you know, um, in the College of Communication, what I see are a lot of mini uh, Jake Tappers, Jim Acostas. And I think that's what we need to change in journalism. It's about telling the people's story, not telling your own story. And so many journalists have been blending the line between activism and journalism. And I think that journalists should be afforded all of the uh, rights that you have under the First Amendment. Um, that's why editorial boards can endorse certain candidates. That's why you can attend protests as a journalist. But I think you need to get rid of the front that you're an objective journalist if you're actively fighting the front lines of the Black Lives Matter movement and just give up the gist that this is for the common people when you're writing a book, a memoir about yourself and your time uh, reporting on the White House. Yeah, well, there's certainly a pattern, I think, among uh, reporters who call themselves objective but are simply not. I mean, I don't think there's anything inherently wrong with opinion journalism. I think, you know, I, I certainly write opinion pieces. I know you write opinion pieces. But it's about being open about that fact, right? I mean, I, I've noticed a ton of people our age who are interested in journalism but lean towards that Jake Tapper, Don Lemon sort of thing where they want to be part of this zeitgeist of leftist journalism uh, and they want to feel like they're the objective moral truth when in reality that's not really the function of journalism. But it's interesting that they're not aware that, I mean, you were on Tucker Carlson. Tucker Carlson is probably, I mean, as a journalist, I can't think of a better, larger platform than Tucker Carlson, right? So that must have been really incredible for you. That was just such a great opportunity to think um, at just 21 years old, a senior in college, to be able to go on such a nationally televised program watched by millions. And it just meant a lot to me. And it was just such a culture shock to go from the studio, um, getting a bunch of calls from my family, from my high school friends saying, I saw you on Tucker, and then going home, eating Chinese on my uh, dorm room floor, and the next day, everything's back to normal. Uh, no one really recognizes me on campus again, and everything's just back to this um, normalcy. 
Um, so that was a little difficult and eye-opening, but humbling um, when, you know, as I said, a lot of uh, the student journalists I know are little careerists and in their own little world. Um, I took a trauma journalism class uh, this past semester, and I thought I could have written this uh, course in my sleep because it's basically one on 101 of how to be a decent human being. And that's kind of eye-opening to think that a lot of student journalists need to be taught how to be humans before they're journalists, uh, to respect the integrity of your source. They're being vulnerable to you, especially um, covering a trauma-related story. And most of the class is just teaching you uh, how to be patient, how to understand that the common person doesn't know what off the record, on the record is, um, and that you need to be human before you need to be this Jim Acosta figure. I, I think that's a commentary on the greater part of perhaps the way families are nowadays, you know, at least for me. Um, I think a lot of what you're talking about is just taught to you by your family. Has your family been supportive of you? Do you come from a conservative family? Um, right now, it's just me and my mom. Um, it used to be my grandma, my mom, and me. Um, but my grandma passed away last year. Oh, I'm sorry. Thank you. Um, and that's how my origin story kind of came about. Uh, so she fell at home. Um, the ambulance transported her away and she couldn't quite understand when we explained we can't come see you because of the pandemic and she has she had dementia so she just wasn't understanding what was going on in the world as it was passing her by so quickly and to recover from the broken neck she um, was hospitalized and then taken to a nursing care facility and I saw firsthand how the calls just weren't enough and the one time that we stood outside her window uh, the day before she died, she was seizuring. She didn't know where she was. She couldn't hear us. She couldn't even open her eyes to see us. Um, and we got many calls late at night saying that she fell. They think she was praying on the ground. And she, I just can't imagine how lonely she was. Um, and I think that's a big generational gap because, you know, a lot of millennials and people our age are saying, but you're killing grandma. We're doing this for grandma. But this, the elderly population, while they're the most vulnerable, they're also the most underrepresented. They're forgotten. And it just seems like we're warehousing our senior citizens and we're saying they're safe and they're fine in the nursing facilities. And you saw what happened in New York under Cuomo. And to me, that's just something that's devastating. Um, we don't respect our elders anymore. And when she, died they called my mom and they told her and it was still came as a shock it felt like our family was certainly deprived of that moment um when i feel death and saying goodbye to your loved one should be something that's physical and in the COVID era um that's just a sin sin to be close to your loved ones and to think that we couldn't say goodbye to her and how alone she must have felt and that's what drove me to write my op-ed for the federalist and that's how I got connected with Libby, the senior editor here at the Post Millennial. And so I'm seeing this as an omen that perhaps I should be in the political sphere. And so, yeah, it's my mom and me here. It was my grandma and now we're, um, we're just getting by. 
Well, you know, I'm a firm believer that everything happens for a reason. And I'm so terribly sorry to hear that and hear that experience. You know, 2020 was an absolutely terrible year. I don't think, regardless of political aisle, regardless of, of any metric, um, it was a really awful year. But I think, you know, I, I, I like to believe that everything you're doing now has meaning to it. And I like to believe that your grandmother on some level knows and is proud of you for the work that you're doing. I think it's very important to feel a sense of meaning and purpose, uh, especially as a journalist. So I think, you know, you, you, you're looking at it correctly. It, it could be an omen. It could be, who knows, something that is driving you to become something greater and to expose what happened in New York, you know, and what happened uh, Last year in the United States, you're, you're, you're a truth teller at the end of the day. And you're a truth teller from the place that is very personal and, and, you know, very unfortunate. But I think you're doing everything you need to be doing. So I really commend you for that. Thank you. And I think that's um, where journalists should be turning their attention. Um, these are the people who need their stories told. You're, you're, throwing all this flame and fury at the president. You're doing these takedowns and these hit jobs and these smear campaigns. And there are these people over here who don't have a voice, who are being neglected. And I think that's what the heart of journalism should be. It's human storytelling. You gotta stop with all this glitz and glamor and smoke and mirrors. And at the end of the day, it's the human story at heart. Absolutely. Mia, what is the title of your new show? It's Raised Right and um, it's pretty implied that it's about raising the right generation, uh, not just conservatives, but free thinkers, uh, people who go against norms or resistance, the opposition. Mm -hmm. And Raised Right will soon be available on the post-millennial. We're gonna have a whole new slate of podcasts and you're gonna be able to listen to Mia uh, on her own show. Mia, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. That was Mia Cathell. She is a reporter with The Post Millennial. Uh, you can follow her at Mia Cathell on Twitter. Let me know what you thought. I think this was a really interesting interview to gain some insight on what young conservatives are uh, going through, especially on the campus system. Um, so even for older listeners, I think this will be insightful just to get an idea on what is happening in the current culture. Uh, if you're watching this on YouTube, please like and subscribe. If you're listening to this on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, please give us a good rating, share it around. It really helps. Until next time, thank you so much.